So great to see you guys here today. We are um, we're wrapping up a series called These Crazy Days, and they're crazy, right? This is 2020 has been a wild, wild ride, and I hope uh, you're taking care of yourself. I hope you're checking on others. We're trying to do that here at Crossroads and, and just check in with folks and make sure everything's good. Uh, a lot of people have asked us, how's Crossroads doing? And it's been, uh, it's been a weird year of ministry for sure, uh, and, and through May, our finances weren't affected at all. COVID didn't seem to affect that, but COVID plus summer has been a little bit of a different tune, so the last three months have been more of a challenge. Uh, just, just saying that, the elders and I felt like it was important just to remind everyone to continue in faithfulness and generosity towards the kingdom of God. Thank you for doing so, and uh, appreciate that. But we started this series a couple weeks ago, and I said we started in the shallow end, like we just kind of dipped our toe in the water and talked about how we interact in social media. Uh, our goal in this series is not to fix all the world's problems. Really, our goal is, is to how do we respond? How do we respond to these times that we live in? And what can we do individually and as a church to respond well? And so we looked at our social media response. Last week, we looked at being a person of peace in a culture of conflict. Today, I want to I just dive cannonball into the deep end and, uh, and talk about our worldview and our allegiance. Because uh, if whether you recognize it or not, we live with split allegiance. I think it happens every day. Some of you are feeling that right now because you love your Georgia Bulldogs. See? And you got to put up with this the whole time. And you're just hating life. You're hating that right there. I got to brag when I can brag, okay? Uh, 1-0 is probably the best we're going to do. Oh, you like that joke. Okay. All right, I hear you. And, and by the way, everyone's been asking, I tucked my shirt in because this shirt, I wanted to wear this shirt, and it goes to my knees. So I tucked it in. I'll go back to my untucked look next week. Don't worry about it. It's all good. Okay. But we, we live with split allegiance. We really do. We could say, man, I, my family comes first, and they're the first priority in my, in my life. And yet we'll, we'll have obligations and responsibilities, and things will happen at work, and, and we'll be pulled away from our family, and we'll have to, to give ourselves to our job and, and things that have to get done. And, and we can feel like that's a, a split allegiance at times. It happens to us financially. We could say, man, I really need to be a good steward of what God's given me and manage his resources to his glory. And we're going to save, we're going to save. And then, and then you get this wild hair, you get this, this other thing in your heart. And you go, you know what? I want to I go to the movies. We're going to all go pay top dollar for the movie. We're not going to the early bird. We're just going to go. And we're gonna, everybody's going to get the 88-ounce drink that we can swim in, like every one of us. And we're, we're not going to just get one thing of popcorn. We're going to get two. We might even get three. And we don't have to share it eight ways. We're just going to, everybody gets a popcorn. And you just blow it out. And those can compete against one another. You know, uh, when, when it gets uncomfortable, though, is when our split allegiance affects our faith. And we're trying to follow Christ. And we're trying to live for him and his truth. And yet, the broken world that we live in seems to shove us into a category or take a side that doesn't really feel congruent with our faith. And so we feel like we're having to sacrifice or give up some of what it means to follow Christ in order to conform into the world we live in. That's a split allegiance. And as followers of Christ, really what I want to have you hear today is that we have a primary allegiance to him to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our primary allegiance is to him above all other things we could give our heart to, above all other causes we could give our lives to, above all other things we could set our mind on, it's Christ. He comes first. He's primary. 
and all the other things that compete for our allegiance take second place. There's a reason we feel conflicted in that, and so I want to go to the Scriptures with you. In 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, the Apostle Peter was um, led to say this, Since you call on a father who judges each, works, each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. The reason you and I struggle with split allegiance is we forget this simple truth. We don't belong here. We're foreigners. We're strangers. This world is not our home. And I don't know about you, but I forget that. It, this feels like home. This, this, is where, this is the only place I've ever lived. This is the only place you've ever lived. This is home, right? And so in this home, we start creating uh, a life for ourselves, and it includes lots of different things. And, uh, and, 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 and if this circle, big circle represents our life, there's all these other things that sort of fill up our life. And for me, it could be husband and dad, and I'm an American, and I'm a pastor, and I got a race. Oop, I put my arm in there. I have a certain race I belong to. And uh, what else? My favorite team. Your favorite team. And hopefully, hopefully, Christ is a big part of that, and he might even take center stage in that. And Christ, my following Christ, might influence all those other things in my life. But that's sort of uh, the mentality we have when this world is our home. This is what home feels like. That's who I am. And you could come up and draw yours, and that would be who you are. Except it's not. This isn't exactly how we are to view ourselves when it comes to, the, to being strangers in this world. We're told to get comfortable here, and God says, don't do, though. Do, don't do that. As a foreigner, you are an outsider. I don't know if you've ever moved to a new location, and you might live there five years, 10 years, 15 years, or 20 years, but they might say, hey, they're glad that you're here, but you ain't from here. You ain't from here. Uh, we experienced that. We went to uh, our, our first um, ministry role was in LaGrange, Georgia. We met a lot of great people, had a great time, had an awesome church family, loved so much. All three of our kids were born down there. Uh, I had more fun than Gabe. It was, you know, diapers and all kinds of stuff for her. But uh, we had a great time in the Grange. But it was clear we weren't from there. We didn't really fully, totally belong. We were foreigners to them. We should not see any one of these things to be a permanent identity in our life, aside from Christ, all those other attributes, all those other identities are ultimately not going to last. They're, they're not who I am. And so God says, listen, embrace that. Don't make that who you are. Don't try to make this world your home. Don't, don't live for this world. Instead, live for the next world. And if you live for the next world, these are insufficient other than Christ to identify with as who you are. In fact, in the next chapter, Peter is inspired to, to continue on that line. He says this, Dear friends, I urge you, this is important, as foreigners and exiles, he adds a word here, foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. See, in this relationship with the world, God says you're foreigners here. You're exiles here. So let's look at each one of those words. As a foreigner, what God is saying is these people are not your people. 
the, the world and the culture that we live in and the circles that we all run in, uh, there's just going to be something. If you're a follower of Christ, there's going to be something different about you. And because there's something different about you, you're never going to fully fit in with the ways and the people of this world. You're countercultural to what they are. They don't value what you value. They don't worship what you worship. They don't think like you think. And they just are missing something that you have, namely Christ. And he says, listen, this, this is not your people. Secondly, he says, you're in exile. And when you're in exile, that means you're, you, you don't own anything that you have. You don't own land. You don't have a possession. You don't have a home. You're simply in exile waiting your time here to move on somewhere else. This isn't your stuff. And you're not identified uh, by anything you own in this place. And it never will really satisfy because everything you can own and everything you can possess is temporary and fleeting in this life. God says we are foreigners. We are exiles. You know what he's saying? He said, you don't belong here. Let me just ask you, how does that rub you? That kind of brings some friction to me. What do you mean I don't belong here? God says, you don't belong here. If you and I try to fit in, if we try to make one of these things where, where we, we identify with that above all other things because we want to belong and we want to fit in, and I want people to like me, Sarah, wear Georgia's gear, I will compromise who I am. But on a serious note, when we allow any other identification to take primary importance in our life, we will ultimately compromise what it means to follow and know Christ. So God says, you don't belong here, but he's got something really better. He says, I got a place where you do belong. Check this out. We're going to go to Ephesians 2. He says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. All right, same words, same words in the Greek, same words in English, basically. He's saying, listen, you were that, you are that in this world, but I've got something better for you. You were foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. You're members of his household. We do have a people, and our primary allegiance is to this family of God where where our God is our Father and Jesus is our Savior, and you and I are ushered into this family where you and I are now brothers and sisters, and we belong to Him, and we belong to each other in a way that is so much better than belonging to any of these other things. What he's saying is, listen, there's, there's something bigger than all that. We don't have to try to join the world and be an insider in this world. God's got a different place for you and I to be insiders in his family, in his kingdom. We belong there. And it changes how you view yourself, and it will change how you view others. We'll see that in a minute. And this is what this looks like. There's this huge family of God 
that when we receive Christ into our life and the forgiveness that God longs to give us and the love that he demonstrated upon a cross through his son Jesus and we receive by faith that Jesus can do for us that our sin nature is, is tormenting us, that he can remove that and he can bring life and salvation and new creation to our soul and we receive Jesus by faith, we are ushered into this new family of God. And in this family, we belong. I'm also going to write the word kingdom. There's this kingdom of God. You see Jesus talking about the kingdom all the time. There's this kingdom of God that we belong to. And while this is very tangible and we can see it and we can touch it, this is a kingdom we now belong to in Christ that is more real than those things. We just can't see it. It's still coming. We're part of the kingdom, but the kingdom isn't here yet. There's a day where this kingdom will literally, physically rule and reign on this earth and Christ will rule this world and you and I as followers of his will help him rule this kingdom together. That kingdom's coming. Give God praise for that. There's a kingdom coming. And that means... If that's true, then it changes how we view ourselves, that our identity is a Christ follower. Listen, it isn't just another identification and a long list of things we identify ourselves as. It isn't even a part of our life if Christ has just got another corner of your life or even if Christ is a, is a big part of your life. It's not just another identification. It is your primary identification because when you and I become a follower of Christ, that circle gets put into this circle. Are you with me? And this circle is us and now we belong to Christ and everything in that circle, everything we're a part of and everything we like to do and everything that we're interested in is now subject to the kingdom of God and it is secondary and run through the filter of the kingdom. See that? So if you see yourself foremost and primarily as a part of the kingdom of God, it changes how you view yourself, how you view others. But if you don't, if you have an unflinching, if you have an unflinching devotion to one of these other things, if one of these things being an American or your race or any of that or whatever yours is going to be, if that is primary, if that takes center stage, it is ultimately going to cause you conflict in following Christ and being a part of his kingdom. They're going to be at odds at some level. At some point, they're going to be at odds. And when you and I choose that, there's a biblical word for that, and it's called idolatry. Idolatry. Idolatry is when you choose to let anything or anyone, you look to anything or anyone to satisfy you or save you. I'm going to say that again. Idolatry is when you look to anything or anyone to satisfy you or save you. Can I tell you, none of these things satisfy, and none of these things except Christ will save you. It is Christ alone who saves and satisfies us. He alone is worthy of our worship, and He alone is worthy of our lives. You guys are awake this morning. I like that. Thank you. This idolatry, I mean, this world, these crazy days we live in, it's so easy to fall into. And I believe there's three areas that is really tempting to make an idol in our life. There's three of these circles that we need to subject to the kingdom of God. And if we don't, we're going to fall into idolatry. And I just want to identify those three with you this morning. And the three we're going to look at, I don't care if you're a believer or a non-believer. You've been following Christ for 50 years or five minutes. 
It's easy to fall into one of these. It's the idols of politics, lesser identities, and personality. Let's look at each one of those. First of all, politics. We're in a, we are in a divided time. We're in, we're in a place in our nation where there's two very distinct sides and we're digging in our heels with one another. It's very, very easy to make that prime. We're in election year. There's a lot at stake. There's a lot going on in the world. There's a lot going on in our nation. And it's so easy. I don't know, but it's easy for my heart. Somebody after the first service said, man, have you been watching my Facebook posts? I said, no. I said, this is all of us are dealing with this. All of us have this problem. We all need to hear this. The, 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 the identity of politics is so easy to become an idol in our lives right now. But you know what? This isn't a new problem. The enemy's been using politics to divide his people for, for centuries, for a long time. He's been using that. It doesn't have to, though. I want to read. This is going to seem like out of place and strange, but I'm going to read you a passage from Matthew 10. And it's a list of the 12 disciples that followed Jesus, these 12 men. And, and I'm going to read these names, and there's a description of some of them, and I'm going to ask you a question after I read this. It says this. These are the names of the 12 apostles or disciples. Uh, first is Simon, who's called Peter. And his brother Andrew, James of Zebedee, sons of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, there's two names, there's two guys in that list that should have hated each other hated each other with a passion. And from the passage I just read, you could pick it out. Anybody want to guess on the two people that should have hated each other in that 12? They slept together. They walked together. They did life together. They ate together. did everything together. And they should have killed each other. Anybody? Matthew the tax collector, Simon the zealot. Let me explain those to you. Matthew, the tax collector. Matthew volunteered for this job. He had to put a resume together. He had to like present himself to the Roman government who had occupied Israel and was ruling over the nation of Israel. And he said, listen, I'll go against my fellow Jews and I'll, I'll, I'll make them pay the taxes that you want them to pay and I'll do your dirty work for you and I'll, and I'll, uh, I'll take all that money from them and I'll give it to you. And I'll keep a little bit for myself on the side over here. They became very wealthy, keeping extra for themselves. And I will sell out my Jewish brothers for you Romans. The Jews hated the tax collector. Do you like paying your tax bill April 15th? Anybody? Okay, you know what we're talking about then. That's Matthew. Then you got Simon, the zealot. And Simon the Zealot was part of this movement, the Zealots, that would later in 67 A.D. Uh, make a coup and, and, and literally by arms overthrow locally the Roman government in Jerusalem and take back control of Judea, and, and they rebelled against the Roman government. And for three years, they held out against the Romans, and finally the Romans came in and decimated them, ripped Jerusalem to the ground. When Jesus said all these stones are going to be taken down, that was the Romans in 70 A.D., and ripped it to the foundations. And those zealots hated the Romans. Simon would have hated the Romans. And here you have two men that should have hated one another. How did they get along? 
there. They were both following Christ. And whatever allegiance they had to these other things, if one was for Rome and the other one was against Rome, that was secondary because they were both in the kingdom and the family of God. They were following Christ. And regardless of how much they repelled each other, if he was a positive and this guy's a negative, and they were at odds with one another, that was not a problem because Christ oversaw it all. He was greater. He was of more importance. He had their first allegiance. That's important today, guys. As we interact politically with other people, Christ has to have our primary allegiance. I'm proud to be an American, but Christ has my first allegiance. I have different stances on what I believe and what is right and what is wrong, but ultimately Christ has my first allegiance. And it changes how I view myself. I am not an entity to myself that has sovereignty to do what I want and say what I want. No, I am constrained because I am standing inside the kingdom and the family of God. If you follow Christ, that's true for you too. Second idol is lesser identities. We can make an idol of lesser identities. What do I mean by that? These are things like uh, sexuality, your, your sexual orientation, your gender, your race. And let's be honest, it's normal to think of ourselves in those terms, and we, we identify with different things in those different categories underneath those, but not to an extreme. And I think this is where these lesser identities take us off track. When they become center. Stage When we start identifying ourselves as race, if I said, listen, my race is so important to me, it takes center stage in my life, and it isn't just a part of me, it is all of me, I have suddenly veered. I'm off. I'm wrong. It's only a part of who God made me. In fact, it's a, it's a minor part of who God has made me. But our culture wants us to think this way. Our culture wants you to think you are identified by your sexual orientation. Our, our culture wants you to believe you are very much identified by your race. God, the, the culture that we live in wants us to say your gender is what identifies you. And while those are parts of who we are, that is not who you are. That is not the total story of who you are. And we are not to identify ourselves primarily with those things. And we are not to view others primarily as those things. It changes how we view them. Let me tell you, those things I just listed, they, are, they fall woefully short to, to, to identifying who you are. They fall woefully short to giving you a solid identity because all that thing stuff is going to be gone one day. Gone. The culture says, lean into that. Identify yourself as one of those and other people as one of those. This is what God says. Ephesians. Uh, I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 3. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. It's not about race. Neither slave nor free. This isn't about economics. Nor is there male or female. It's not about gender. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. You know what matters? Christ. You know what matters? Christ. What matters most? Christ. That I'm in Christ. In Christ is all that really matters. My identity, who I am, how I should see myself is in Christ. That's what matters. 
what other label is trying to identify you today, you need to discard it for Christ. Don't let anything else define you but Him. But Him. We don't need to see ourselves by our race and our gender and our economics or our sexual identity, but as in Christ, again, those are all inadequate. You are a beautiful masterpiece of the living God who made you in His very image, and none of those things are the totality of who He's made you. You're too important. You're too valuable. You're too special. You're too loved to be any one of those things. That's not who you are. Thirdly, the third idol I see today is identity, I'm sorry, personality. Personality, meaning we get enamored by someone. We get enamored by someone and, and you, you identify yourself with them and you follow them and you, you think like them and you want to be like them. Think of yourself, just think of like a, being a radical fan of someone. You remember the old footage, I think it's from the 50s and 60s, black and white, when the Beatles would step out onto the street from somewhere and those women would go, ah! And they always covered their face. Ah! Remember that? You're like, what is wrong? They would pass out from screaming, boom, on the pavement. You're like, that is lunacy. Can I tell you, we still get crazy about people. We may not pass out, but we get really enamored by people, and we follow them sometimes blindly. It happens when we follow celebrity. It happens when we follow politicians. It happens when we follow commentators. And it happens when we follow people in the church. We've made celebrities out of worship leaders and pastors. It happened early in the church. 1 Corinthians was describing a time where, where they were identifying, these people in the church were identifying themselves with people they followed. And Paul wrote this. He said, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants, Paul, or the one who waters, Apollos, is anything. But only God who makes things grow. You want to know who the celebrity here, it's God himself. It wasn't Paul. They were arguing, I'm going to follow Paul. I like Paul. In other words, I like Paulus better. He teaches better. He's nicer to me. Whatever. And God says it doesn't matter. Those are just pawns in the kingdom and the family of God. This is bigger than any person. This is about the kingdom of the living God. When we idolize a person, we take their ideology as gospel without running it through the filter of our faith. There's a danger there. Without running it through the filter of what we know to be true through the word of God. We, we're in danger of getting off course. And because we like them, we want to be like them, we'll, we'll compromise what we know to be true from God. Because I promise you, everyone you follow and I follow is flawed. Flawed. I'm flawed, guys. And I just don't know where I'm flawed. I don't know where I'm on. I'm I have taught something wrong from this stage, and I don't know what I said that was wrong. Be blessed. <laughs> Come on back next week. <laughs> so what is your primary identification? That's my question today. What is your primary identification? What is your primary allegiance? 
If it isn't Christ, you'll inevitably settle for less than what God made you to be. You will inevitably be on the wrong side of an issue, and you will inevitably be counterproductive to the kingdom of God. I said, well, I think I'm doing okay. I, I don't know that there's anything that's, that's taken center stage in my life. I don't know that there's any one of these side issues that are, that are having a bigger fl- sway and influence in my life than they should. Well, I've got a test for us. I hope you pass the test. I hope I pass the test. And here's the test. The test of whether we have got it right and we've got things in their place is shown in how we respond to people who are not like us and who disagree with us. That's the test. And so your blank here is the test of your identification is in your interaction. You can find out very quickly if being in Christ matters most to you or being a pastor matters most to me. Can I tell you that sometimes those are in conflict with one another. And you will have things you identify with that ultimately will come in conflict with following and being in the family of God. So what happens is this. Because one of these things get bigger than it needs to be, one of these things, maybe it's my team, man. And this gets big. And so I'm all about GT. And this guy or this gal is all about UGA. And there's friction if, if that isn't more important than this, then there's friction here. And I start going at you, and you start coming at me, and there's conflict and friction where there needs to be no conflict and no friction. That's the litmus test. Is that controlled by that? Does these interactions, are they subjected to this kingdom authority? How I treat other people and look at other people and view other people, is it ultimately subjected to this or am I on my own doing as I will? You'll know because when you're off, that people become opponents you have to beat rather than lost people made in the image of the living God you are to love and extend grace to. We live in a culture of conflict. Can we, can we agree with that? Our, our culture is begging us. It is prodding us. It is goading us to do this. We don't have to do it. The culture of conflict keeps pressing in on us and, and makes us want to ask questions like, are they on my side? Are they for me? Are they against me? Do they approve of my politics? Do they endorse my worldview? Do they embrace my ideology? Those are all this world questions and this world thinking. So you can't hate someone and engage them with the gospel at the same time. You can't judge someone and love them at the same time. If we always see someone as our opponent, we are going to be off. You know, there's actually another ring around this family of God, this kingdom of God. There's another ring that is greater than this kingdom, not greater in importance, but greater in size, and it's called humanity. Humanity. 
Genesis 1.26, God, God says, let us make man in our image. In the image of God, he made them. Male and female, he created them. That every male and female, and by the way, those are the only two categories. Male and female, male and female, we're all made in the image of the living God. So if somebody is dead set against us and they don't think like we think and they don't agree with what we do and their politics are all screwed up and you don't like anything about them and they're a big negative and you're a big positive, guess what? We still have to interact them as, in the, with the mindset of knowing they are still made in the image of the living God. And we owe God the respect, and we owe that person the respect to treat them as another fellow human being made in the image of God. They have the same soul that you have. They have the same love from the Father that you have. God made them special just like he made you. They are every bit as important as you. It changes. They're no longer a foe to fight. They're a person to love. We stand for truth, but we do it in love. We got to do it in love. We're going against what we say is true about being in Christ if we don't do it in love. Now get this. We got a believer in Christ. They're another fellow believer, and they got stuff about them you like, and they got stuff that you don't like. You're a positive, and they're a negative. Ryan's wearing his Second Amendment shirt. I love it. That's what he believes in. But there's probably somebody watching or in this room who says, I don't agree with that. Positive, negative. Ryan has a choice. Am I going to hone in on this one area that I disagree with them and I'm going to make an issue of this and I'm not going to like them and I'm going to be against them and they're going to not like me and they're going to go against me and I'm going to focus on that one thing? Am I going to look at the bigger picture? That's my brother and my sister. So here's my question. How would you do with the test? How are you doing in interaction with others? It starts with how you view them. It starts with how you view you. My prayer today is that we would all have a shift. If this, is, if this isn't how you've been thinking, that this is how we'll all think moving forward, that this kingdom of God, this family of God, takes precedence over every other issue and allegiance in our life. That comes first. That we'll live as a person of peace and that we'll interact with Christ, not just a part of my life, not even the center or most important part of that piece of my life, but Jesus Christ would be Lord over all my life. He'd have everything. Everything is subjected to him. Everything is in reverence to him. Everything is, is by uh, his way, not mine. And so I'm going to pray in just a second that every believer, we would... We maybe start fresh looking at us and others that way. But I want to close by saying this. Christ has only one proper place in every one of our lives. There's only one proper place for Jesus. And it's not to be shoved into the corner of your life. It's just another piece of your life, a thing that you pull out on Sunday or when things are going bad. And Christ 
isn't even supposed to be the most important piece of your life in that he has part of your life and he has some sway of your life. No, the only place that Jesus should reign and rule is as Lord of your life. He is sovereign over all things. You're subject to him in all matters and that what he says goes. Lord, leader of your life. And if you have never received Christ as the leader and the Lord of your life, he's calling right now. You might have heard about him. You might have prayed to him, but you've never said, Jesus, you can be the Lord of my life. I want you to not only forgive my sins and usher me into a relationship with my heavenly Father, I need you to be Lord, sovereign over my life. Will you humble yourself today and ask Jesus to be Lord over you today? Let's pray. So, God, I'm so grateful the things of this world don't satisfy. That they all leave us longing and looking for something more and better. Because it leads us to you. To the one who can satisfy us and save us above all things. And so, God, today I pray. The person that, who's heard about Jesus and maybe thinks that they have a relationship with him, but they've never yielded their life to Christ, that you're just convincing them they need that today. And they need to receive you not only as the savior of their sins, the forgiven, wipe away the sin penalty that, that stands in, in between them and a holy God. That's what Jesus did on the cross. But they need to take him not only as the savior of their sins, but the leader and Lord of their life. That's the only rightful place that you can have. If that's your heart's desire today, say, Jesus, take it all. Jesus, have all of me. I surrender my life to you as my leader, my Savior. Save me from my sins and my Lord. I want to follow you. God, thank you for the grace that by faith we can simply ask and it is given. God, thank you for the grace that you don't, we don't have to earn favor with you because we never would. God, thank you for the grace that through Jesus Christ, sin is atoned for and lives are reborn and a new identity is formed as child of the living God in you. God, thank you for who you've made us. And Lord, I pray for all your people that have said, Jesus, you lead me and I follow. That you would have rightful place of Lord of our lives. That no other identity is sufficient except Christ. I belong to this family. I'm a part of this kingdom. And because of that, it changes how I view me. Tell them this, God. I believe that today, God. I believe I'm in your family. I believe this kingdom is my kingdom that you've given me through your son, Jesus. And so I'm, I'm now yours. I'm in Christ. That's who I am. And I believe that about everyone else as well, that they are, they are made in your image, and I'll treat them with respect and love. God, be sovereign over us in this time of decision. Be glorified as we sing to you now. In Jesus' name. Amen.